Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, the podcast that's always shining a light in dark places. And what crazier place is there really than Hollywood? That's where we're going to be talking about today. I think in the last few years, things have gotten pretty intense in Los Angeles and in the show business industry. It seems like a lot of women are finally feeling brave and speaking out about toxic and dangerous men that are in powerful positions in show business. And I think that as many headlines as we're seeing that are like that, there's even more going on that we're not hearing about. There are death fetish predators who are in show business as well. We recently covered the Army Hammer scandal, which had to do with some alleged tendencies that were brought to the public about Army Hammer sending some alleged text messages having to do with cannibalism. And today, we're going to go right back into that world of Los Angeles, Hollywood, show business, celebrities, and the like to discuss this terrifying thing that happened there. So in November of 2021, 24-year-old Christy Giles, who was a model and an actress, and 26-year-old Hilda Marcella Cabrellas, who was a designer, well, these two ladies decide to go out on the town and have some fun. Hilda, just to give you a little idea, uh, was super beautiful, but also very smart. Her family has said that she was even at the top of her class academically. She loved animals. She was excited to have an upcoming wedding ceremony with her new husband, Louis. So they'd already been married. They hadn't had a ceremony, but she had a wedding dress picked out and everything. And she was really excited and looking forward to this chapter of her life where she was happily married and out of college and just, um, you know, growing up. It was the same for Christy, too. In fact, her mother described her as a free spirit and also said that she loved to play soccer. Christy worked as a model for Nomad and Fox modeling agencies, and she'd been modeling since she was 14 years old. She was also a runner-up in the Alabama Teen USA, and she had been amassing a large social media following. She had a lot going for her, and she was so excited to see where her career was going to go. I mean, she was young and carefree and all of those things. Just a real exciting time in her life. And like most girls in their 20s, Christy and Hilda love to go out dancing. I did too when I was that age, so I really can relate to that. They wanted to go out and have some fun together, and they had heard about something that was called a warehouse party. And when you're in Los Angeles, Every night out could be the night that you make that amazing show business connection. So they really wanted to go. So the girls attended the warehouse party and witnesses there said they looked like they were having a fun time. They were laughing, you know, they were smiling, all the hallmarks of having fun. The girls eventually came across guys who were in the VIP section of the party. David Pierce, a self-proclaimed Hollywood producer and party promoter, was one of those guys. There were photos of David and Hilda dancing, and he and his friends spent time with the girls and ended up offering them cocaine. The girls accepted, 
and late into the night, they are seen leaving the party with David Pierce and two other men. By morning time, Hilda's husband is panicking. He cannot get a hold of Hilda. She is not responding to messages. And he can see on her location sharing app that her phone is in a strange area of town. And so, of course, he's scared. He's wondering what's happening. So by the afternoon, a hospital lets Hilda's family know that Hilda has been dropped off at the hospital by some men in a black Prius with no license plate who claim to have found her on the road. So this hospital was in West Los Angeles. Okay. So she's dropped off. You know, everybody's rushing to try to take care of this girl that's dropped off. And it turns out that Hilda is in a coma. Okay. So this is serious. And then a few hours later, Christy also turns up at a hospital. She turns up at a different hospital than Hilda one in Culver city. And it was the same creepy scenario. It was two guys in a black Prius with no license plate. And they say that they found her on a road and they are just trying to help her. You know, they're just, they're claiming they're trying to be responsible and they're trying to help. Christy has dropped off at the hospital. She's declared brain dead upon arrival. I mean, it's absolutely awful. Police start investigating immediately. They needed to know the last locations and text communications that the women had. So they're desperate to find out any kind of information that they can about Hilda and Christy. Yeah, I'm glad that they jumped in quickly and started to do that because that scenario is so suspicious. Like, why would they show up at different hospitals? Why are these guys in a car with no license plate? You know, like, it just seems really suspicious. So they get a hold of their text records. And it's amazing when crime happens in this day and age because we just have so much access, you know, to information. It's pretty easy to trace what's happened at this day and age because we use technology so much and there is GPS on our phones and we do text our friends things that we're thinking. But at 421 a.m., Hilda sends a text to Christy that says, do you want Coke? And Christy responds, yes, where are you? And Hilda texts back, I'm in the kitchen. Let's do a line. So at this point, the ladies are still at the warehouse party. I guess there was a kitchen there. Somebody who attended the party did say that they saw Hilda and Christy doing cocaine with David Pierce. Not a shocker. They were hanging out with him there. He offered them some drugs. And, you know, this is a... I mean, I don't want to be super judgy here. I don't use cocaine. So to me, I'm like, oh, this is unfortunate. But I know to some people, especially younger people who are partying and dancing all night, you know, people do see other people doing cocaine. That's that's something that you'll see sometimes out at clubs and parties. So this doesn't necessarily add up. It doesn't mean that these women were, you know, hardened drug addicts. I don't believe that either of them were leading that kind of lifestyle. I think that this was something they were doing socially. It could be experimentation too. I mean, that's pretty typical for people that age that are in that kind of atmosphere. I mean, it's, I mean, it happens and I see it all the time. 
you know, my full-time job is a sober living director. So I am well aware of these kind of things. And you would just be surprised at how often curiosity gets the best of young people. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, they were experimenting, they were young, they were out dancing, and they accepted that invitation. An hour later, the police find that video surveillance had captured the girl's leaving from the warehouse. So they've actually got a pretty tight timeline here. They know the girls were together. They know they were with David Pierce. They have a video of them leaving the warehouse with David Pierce and the two other men, as we said before. And we figure out at this point, once the police are involved, that the men are another guy named Brant Osborne, who is the roommate of David Pierce, and a mutual friend of theirs, uh, a guy named Michael Onsbach, and he's a photographer. So they all get into a car together and they leave. So fast forward to 5.11 a.m., so about an hour later, the car arrives in front of David Pierce's apartment. There's video footage of this as well. So it's a very well-documented timeline here. Several people can be seen heading into the apartment, and this apartment was shared by David and Brandt. So again, Michael's just a friend. He's along for the ride, though, and Hilda and Christy are confirmed as with these guys. You can see it on video. So Hilda's phone pings to the apartment of David Pierce. He lives at 8641 West Olympic Boulevard. And there's, you know, a lot of proof here that she went to this apartment. There are a few more text messages that happen between Hilda and Christy. At 5.30 a.m., Hilda texts Christy and it says, let's go. It's that emoji with the like big eyes that looks kind of like scared. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've, I use that with you often when we're talking about death fetishers. Yeah, it, we know this emoji. I mean, probably every girl who's been like, like, I feel like that's the noise that emoji makes. It's like a e. But Hilda's like, let's go. So at 530, she's done. And I really think this is important because we know they just got out of the car at 511, right? So they get into this apartment. They spend about 20 minutes there and Hilda's done. She's just like, uh-uh, I don't want to be here. Let's go. And Christy writes back, I'll call an Uber. And then another text comes from her that says 10 minutes away. Okay, so the girls are done. They want to leave. 13 minutes later, a car shows up outside of the apartment that police believe was their Uber car. It pulls up. It waits for five minutes. And then it drives away. Nobody gets out. They don't shut off the car. It just drives away. So the police are thinking that the Uber arrived to pick the girls up and that something had already happened to them by this point because they did not come outside to get in the Uber. That's eerie. Yeah, it really is. And I just think that unthinkable, unspeakable acts were happening in that apartment for the next 13 hours. There is no proof of what happens that the police have about those 13 hours. But there was a neighbor who heard what they would describe as someone moaning in pain on and off 
for a long time. They heard this from 10.30 a.m. all the way until 4 p.m. So we don't know why, but this neighbor did not call the police. I think we've talked about this before, but like when you live in an apartment, you hear some shit. <laughs> well, maybe they he had heard stuff like this before. Maybe he wasn't exactly sure what he was hearing. I mean, I guess there could be a lot of different reasons, but yeah, you do hear stuff in apartments. Yeah. Your walls are thin and like, not to be gross or anything, but you're going to hear other people having sex. You're going to hear couples having arguments. You're going to hear um, a guy with food poisoning in the bathroom, maybe. Like you, You're just going to hear some things. And I think that it desensitizes you. I think you get used to hearing things you should not hear and you just try to ignore it. So I agree. This was, I agree. Yeah, this was not screaming. It was somebody moaning. I mean, like, I think if I was sitting in an apartment, I might think like, oh, did that person get their wisdom teeth out? Or, you know, like, or do they have a disc in their back out? You don't know, but you hope that it's not something terrible. Well, there was a time that I would have thought that way. But now that we've been into the dark and twisted world of death fetish, I'll be calling 911 every time. Yeah, I think it is a good a good chance to just say that you might be saving somebody's life if you call and make a phone call. And maybe it is just silly and it doesn't matter, but you could totally save someone's life if you hear a lot of strange noises and, and you decide to call it in. I'd rather be wrong than have missed out on an opportunity to save somebody. But anyway, diving back in at 419 in the afternoon, 11 hours after they had arrived at the apartment, David Pierce and Brent Osborne are caught on camera carrying Christy down the back stairs. Both men get in a Prius. They can be seen on camera trying to disguise themselves with masks, hats, and hoodies. And they get in the car and they drive to a Southern California medical center. Right after 5 p.m., Christy is dropped off outside the hospital with the men telling the hospital staff that they're just good Samaritans who had found her passed out on the curb and that they wanted to help her. But the truth is, is that Christy was dead on arrival. Shortly after, Michael leaves the residence carrying bags of unknown items. And David and Brent return to the apartment to get Hilda. They carry her partially clad body out to the Prius. They go to a different hospital. The men do the same thing as they did with Christy. No names or contact info. They just tell the hospital they found her on the side of the road. Hilda is technically alive when she arrives at the hospital, but brain dead. Two weeks later, and one day before her 27th birthday, Hilda is pronounced dead. Both women's cause of death is drug overdose, but the amount of drugs and even the type of drugs that were in their system is quite suspicious. So they obviously had cocaine in their system because we know that they tried that at the party. But there was also fentanyl, ketamine, heroin, and GHB, which is known as the date rape drug. Christie's family was adamant that Christie would have never willingly taken heroin. I just want to add here that as a sober living director, I'm pretty adamant, not even knowing these girls, that they wouldn't have willingly taken fentanyl and ketamine 
and other drugs, I don't think, on top of having tried cocaine at the party. I think most people realize that taking a cocktail of different kinds of drugs could be deadly. And that's a lot of different kinds of drugs to actually ingest, especially if you're not a regular addict. So I find it hard to believe that the girls would have willingly done that. I agree, but I think that the smoking gun is really the GHB because nobody's going to take date rape drug. Like, there's no reason why you would. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I suspect that the heroin was probably laced with fentanyl, which is a pretty common thing that happens. And that could be a possibility. But I just don't think that they took this combination of drugs willingly. I, I just don't. I think... I think their text messages show that they had the intent to leave, but I think that they weren't able to because they were drugged shortly after that. And so I think that that really points to a more sinister scenario. Yeah, they could have even been drugged before the text messages and they just hadn't kicked in yet. Like they they just felt like something was weird already 20 minutes in. I think it would just depend on when and how the drugs were to were administered to them because heroin and ketamine and fentanyl would have been pretty immediate. So I think it really just depends on how the scenario played out, but I think it's quite possible if they had been administered the date rape drug, they wouldn't have known that immediately. I think that you're right. And I think the other drugs could have happened afterwards to keep them sedated. Yeah, it's really scary to think about when and how that happened, but I think it's really important that those text messages were sent, that they did order an Uber. They agreed, you know, quietly through their phones that they both wanted to leave. There's proof of that. So I just don't think that this was two girls going to do every drug under the sun. It doesn't feel that way to me. And I I'm sure that Christie's family knew her well enough to know whether she would have a night like that or not. It sounds like she was pretty vocal about being against heroin specifically. I tend to agree with that completely. And I think that going back to the text messages again, that shows two girls that were potentially frightened about what they were experiencing and wanted to do everything they could to go ahead and make their own way out. So I think I think this whole thing is really damning and suspicious. I think so, too. And we can't forget that David, you know, he's in the VIP area. He's telling everyone that he's a film producer. And I'm sure that that has some sort of impact in terms of like the women wanting to be around him. They may have thought there was some sort of career opportunity if they networked with him or made friends with him. The part about his friend Michael being there. Like, it's creepy to imagine there's three men there with them. So these guys can overpower them easily. But Michael is a photographer. I mean, I feel like my head is just death fetish wired now. But I'm like, there's a film producer. There's a photographer and some drug girls. This is going to be some kind of death fetish thing. Like, when I look at that, I'm like, oh, no. I think that I'm ruined for film producers. Yeah, it's a recipe for it. For disaster is what I think. Absolutely. So after a few weeks, there's, you know, an investigation going on actively. The police are doing everything they can. After a few weeks, they are finally able to make some arrests. They arrest David Pierce, Brant Osborne, and Michael Onsbach. They all get arrested. 
in connection with Hilda and Christie's deaths because, as I said, a few weeks have passed. Both girls are dead now, not just one of them, but both of them. And so these guys are arrested because they were the last guys to be seen with them alive. Now, at this point, none of them had been officially charged and Brant and Michael were released. But David, he was held. Yeah, there was a stirring going on in the community. So what had happened was that there was a lot of news coverage about Hilda and Christie's deaths and them getting dropped off at the hospital and it being kind of a suspicious thing. And the police started to get a lot of tips. They were getting phone calls daily from various women. And what the women were talking about with the police were experiences that they had had with David Pierce. They were saying things like, hey, I know that guy. He did this exact same thing to me. And as a result of all these phone calls, four sexual assault charges were like filed in addition to what had happened with Christy and Hilda just from the phone calls coming in. Good. I'm glad that these women were, you know, people were finding their voices and being brave and coming forward. I mean, that is really important. Yeah, four women who absolutely did not know each other were calling in and saying that David had lured them to his apartment and they had details. They said that they were given a special drink by David that caused them to get dizzy and black out. That's frightening to think about, but I, I, I believe that's probably very common for sexual assault situations and honestly for death fetish producers and death fetish situations. I think that they like to knock out their victims. Right. And not to make it all about me, but this is relatable. Somebody gives you a drink and then you have a really hard time remembering the rest of the night. Like that's, it's all too easy, especially because I just, there's something very casual about a drink. People aren't that scared to share a cocktail or even just a soda with somebody else. It's not as big of a deal as, you know, even cocaine. Well, I hope this is a cautionary tale, a cautionary reminder for people to be careful what, you know, you consume, what people give you, drinks or food. Just don't do it. Yeah, even if it's something as innocent as a soda or a lemonade, there could still be something in it. So you have to be really careful. And the phone calls that were coming in about David, these allegations went all the way back to 2010. And people were calling in talking about being raped, being drugged. Some of the women talked about sexual penetration with foreign objects even. And some of them claimed to know that they had been raped after they were unconscious. That is, that's terrible. And I just, I hate this, but one particular brave woman, her name was Erica Bergman, who also goes by Erica Poe, had a lot more to say about David Pierce. Erica had been so traumatized by David that she had spent many years, years trying to warn other women about him on a blog that she had created called The Dirty. On The Dirty, Erica shared her experience with David. She said, and I quote, he would talk a lot about celebrities that he knew. In fact, he often introduced himself as Dave from Paramount Pictures. But this was all a lie. David never worked at any movie studio. 
Erica had been going through a rough breakup and took David up on his offer to stay at his place. Once she was in his apartment, David gave Erica the special drink. The next thing Erica remembers, she is waking up to David bouncing around the room, kind of laughing and giddy. She says, and I quote, He started to tell me how while I was passed out, he had assaulted me while I was sleeping, sexually assaulted me, and the things that he had done to me, and it was incredibly degrading. Erica says she wanted to leave but felt trapped. David threatened to send lewd photographs of Erica to her husband, who she was battling in divorce court. She continued to stay with David reluctantly, and the abuse and the violence escalated. Here's another description that Erica gave. He slammed my head onto the marble floor, and the sound in my ears was like an egg cracking, and I can't get that sound out of my ears. Erica was too scared to press charges at the time, but left David's place and started her blog to warn other women who may be trying to get an acting career going. It was very brave, and I just, I think it's just so awful the things that she experienced. Just reading her blog excerpts makes me so incredibly sad because it's so graphic and you can almost hear the sound in your head that she says that she heard when he slammed her head into the marble floor. It just, it makes me terrified for her and horrified. Yeah. And she had started that blog because she really wanted other women to be wary of him and to be careful. It sounds like she didn't report to the police until the news about Hilda and Christie was all over the TV and the newspapers. Um, and I feel like that's that's kind of common. Like you just you process your trauma the best that you can. And for her, I think, you know, she made that blog. She probably felt like she was helping to warn other people in the community and maybe hadn't decided if she wanted to press charges or not, because that is a scary process. It's it's really hard when you call the police and, and tell them about what happened to you because they're trained to um, like it almost feels like they have a poker face. Uh, like they they listen to you. They don't give much feedback and you can't really tell if they believe you or not. And it can feel really sterile when you call and explain a traumatic experience to a police officer. And another part that's really hard about that, and I say this from personal experience, is that sometimes you get bounced around from department to department or from detective to detective, and they make you tell your story over and over and over again. Probably so that they can see if you're consistent in telling the story too. I, I know there's reasons why this happens, but it's really hard when you have to tell a story that when it's your trauma that you have to retell over and over again. Well, and I, I think that that's true. And I think it's interesting you use the word sterile because I hear that a lot because believe it or not, I see a lot of this, a lot of women needing to report sexual assaults in my line of work, because unfortunately that happens a lot in the world of drugs and alcohol. You know, police are trained to be very distant when, you know, taking these reports for a lot of different reasons. One is that people make false reports all the time. And a sexual assault allegation is a very serious assertion to make against someone else. And so they're trained to gather those facts, but they do it in such a way that I think sometimes 
can be harmful if they're not trained properly in how to handle a sexual assault victim who is already traumatized. And so I think there's a lot of room for improvement and training for law enforcement and other people who are taking these kind of reports. So I like the word that you used. I've heard that word used a lot and it's true. And it's something that needs to change about the system. And I hope it does. But I think when I um, consider what Erica Bergman went through, I think she was just doing the best that she could. She wanted to speak out about it. And I don't blame her for not making a police report right away. I think sometimes when you find out other people experience what you experience, it does make you feel like, okay, I don't want to talk to the police, but maybe I really should. I think so, so too. And I think that you're also like, there's shame involved with it, even if it isn't your fault. And if there were drugs or alcohol involved, that adds to the shame and the fear of telling the full story because you're afraid that you will get blamed. I think there's so many facets to this. Yeah. And so with Erica's blog, she was able to just pop up something online, you know, a little bit detached, but still like, hey, watch out for this guy, everybody. (laughs) The amount of other women commenting on Erica's blog posts about David Pierce is just staggering. There are many, many other comments on the blog, just like the police getting the calls. There were women on the internet that found this blog, probably as a result of searching David's name, and they find this blog, and they read what Erica had to say, and then there are all these comments on the blog that I went through and read. Just various women saying that David Pierce hurt them, David Pierce raped them, David Pierce drugged them. There are just tons of women who responded to that. There's even a few people who seem to know more about David than even Erica did share in her blogs. There were a few readers who responded and said that it was well known in the community that David Pierce was making snuff films. Snuff films. That is absolutely disgusting and infuriating and awful. Yeah. And They go on to say, not only is David Pierce making snuff films, but he is selling them for profit on the dark web. Another user goes on to say, like, oh, yeah, this is well-known information. David's been raping women and filming it for the past 10 years of his life. So he's an absolute creep. I mean, there's no other way to describe this guy. I'm not even going to say he's an alleged creep. He's a creep. There's another user, and I mean, we do need to address the fact that these are just people commenting on a blog. So yes, there's a chance that somebody just made all of this up, but it really, really feels to me like there needs to be some deeper dives going on here because I would not be surprised to find films of women that had encountered David Pierce on the dark web. People are coming up and saying, hey, he's doing this. He's been doing it for the past 10 years. But we know he's a creep based on what he did to Christy and Hilda. So, I mean, I'm not completely shocked. Any guy that would be responsible for drugging and abusing women for over 10 hours and then dropping them off at a hospital brain dead. I mean, he's he's capable of anything. He's a monster. Yeah, there's another comment on the blog that says, this guy just pulled the most psycho nonsense I've ever heard of. 
he convinced a friend of mine to visit him in L.A. after several weeks of being sweet and nice to her on the phone. Once there, he waited until she was sleeping to go through her phone, block every guy she had in there, and started texting her best friends, pretending to be her. He was saying that she was in love and that she would not be coming back to Colorado. Luckily, she got out of his apartment, but these comments that I'm seeing are scary. So this is yet another person who's like, wow, uh, I know who this guy is. He did this to my friend. (laughs) It's This guy's dangerous for sure. There's even another comment from another totally different person that suggests that David filmed Hilda and Christy and has sold the video on the black market as well. So we're getting different people commenting, saying he's on the dark web. He makes snuff films. He videotapes this. He, Or, you know, my friend had a close call with him texting people, pretending to be her, saying she's not coming home. So it sounds like he's been up to these antics for a long time with a great many people. And I just think it's so bone chilling. He has all the classic signs of a death fetish predator. He absolutely does. And thankfully, after seven months of police work, the DA had enough evidence to indict David Pierce on two counts of murder, claiming David Pierce gave Christy and Hilda lethal amounts of fentanyl, which is a deadly synthetic opioid drug that dealers often mix with other drugs. And they do this to, for a variety of reasons, but to make repeat customers, it makes the drug, drug more enjoyable. Sometimes they will mix the drug because they purposely want to kill somebody. There's a lot of different reasons why they do this. And it's really, really dangerous. Fentanyl is a very, very frightening drug. It worries me that the defense is going to play up that these women were drug users really based on the fact that they accepted and tried cocaine earlier in the night. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I think they'll have to look at a longer history. If these women had done drugs before, I think there will be a lot that plays into it, but I think that they will potentially try to use that against the women. But I think it'll be hard to, hard to have that stick with the jury, mainly because of how horrific the crime was and that there was the presence of the date rate drug. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. I can't imagine them using any other defense. So they're going to go for the jugular there. They're going to try to paint these two women as like hardcore drug addicts. I think that's what they'll try to do. I think so too. But I think that the prosecutors will need to be doing a lot of, background work to help protect those girls and to prove that they did not have a history of drug abuse, if that is indeed the truth. So that part will be important because I think so many girls get themselves in this situation because they trusted the wrong people and then things happen and then they're, they're blamed for their choices and their behavior. And that shouldn't be the focus. It should be, Hey, this guy drugged me me and raped me and filmed me and beat me and all those things. But we really see, I think time and time again, where women get berated almost for decisions that they make and the focus is lost on what, on the crime that was committed. It's victim blaming. It really is. Uh, It's blaming and shaming 
for sure. And just to touch on the autopsy, Christy and Hilda's autopsy stated there was no physical or sexual trauma. And nurses who treated Hilda noted slight bleeding in her vagina and a review of her sexual assault exam found a small abrasion. And so I think it's pretty clear the women were raped that night. It's hard to imagine why else they would have been drugged if not for the purpose of rape and sexual assault. But it's possible that it was not like a brutal sexual assault. But even if it's not a brutal rape, it's still a rape. There was that one other person who came forward and said that there were like objects placed inside of her. So it doesn't, you know, it it could have been something like that where there was some sort of molestation going on not full sexual activity. That's a tricky one, though, when the autopsy doesn't appear to have had a classic rape, but there's still signs or or some indication that they were touched in some way there. I think the whole thing is just absolutely awful. And I hate what happened to these two girls. It's just, it's tragic. It is really tragic. They were so young and it's hard not to villainize these three guys because they had every opportunity to call 911. And yeah, they would have been in trouble, but it just feels really sinister that they weren't even willing to do that and that they had these women for so many hours at the apartment. It's like, I just don't have a lot of compassion for these guys because I think if they had any ounce of humanity, they would have called 911. But I I think it's more likely that they were enjoying the time that they had these women there unconscious and drugged out of their mind. And it feels really intentional to me when you look at all the the details. Yeah, I tend to agree. It feels intentional and awful. And so if we look at where things stand right now, we're, you know, we're in 2023. David Pierce has not stood trial yet, but we are hopeful that he will get a very harsh sentence, that he'll get what he deserves. I, I mean, absolutely do not want him going back out on the streets. It seems like this is a lifestyle for him and that he'll continue to do this to people is, is what I think. So if David is found guilty of all the charges against him, he could potentially face 128 years to life in prison. That is a long time, but well-deserved if he's found guilty of all those charges. Yeah, because he's got 11, uh, he's being charged with 11 counts. So he's got seven counts of drugging and sexually assaulting, uh, forcibly raping and sodomizing women. And he has two counts of murder and two counts of providing a controlled substance, which uh, was the fentanyl. And I think it's so important to note that what he did to Hilda and Christy is is just horrific. But because of him being in the news for that, there were seven other victims besides them that came forward. And that's where a lot of those charges are coming from. So if you really look at that, there's nine women here that, that he's being charged for. That's a predator. That's a lot of people to come forward. And I mean, two of them clearly are deceased, but that's a lot of people to come forward. He is a predator. Absolutely. Through and through. And those seven women that came forward, I think they are probably feeling very lucky to be alive. 
Wow, absolutely. And Josh Ritter, who's an attorney, believes the testimony of the women who were allegedly drugged and raped by David Pierce will help see will help the jurors see a dangerous pattern of behavior. He says, and I quote, their testimonies are going to be huge. One woman? Well, perhaps the defense can poke holes in that. Two women? It begins to sound like, is that really a coincidence or not? But three or four women or more? And you realize you're dealing with a monster. And I agree with that completely. Yeah, he's he's absolutely a monster. I believe he is. And David Pierce had the audacity to plead not guilty to all the charges against him. I, I'm, I'm just, just I'm still shocked by that. Shaking my head over here. I can't believe that he would feel like he could do that. Does he really think he's gonna get away with all this? I don't know. Brant Odsburn, who is charged as an accessory to murder after the fact, has also pled not guilty and is out on bail. It seems there are no current charges against Michael Onsbach. I don't guess I fully understand that, but I'm going to put my faith in the system that they're going to get the bad guys. I hope that that's what happens. I just think it's shady AF that he was there pretty much the whole time. He was still there the next day when Brant and David were dragging the girls to the hospital and he didn't leave until they had done that. And he left with a bag of stuff. And also he's a photographer. So it's hard for me not to wonder, was he photographing all that? Was he filming it? Does he have the death fetish operation on the dark web? Like, how does he play into this? I'm very curious. Yeah, I'll be keeping my eyes peeled for this case to see what's happening. So maybe there will be a follow-up episode because I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in today. This is a horrific story, but thanks for hanging with us. If you want to do your part to help put a stop to dangerous death fetishers, please visit our website at deepdarksecretspodcast.com. In the menu portion, you can click on the advocacy link. And on that page, just scroll down about midway, click on the sign our petition. And if you will put your name to that petition, that just helps Alicia and I, when we go to legislators and we say, these are the people that stand behind us. They want to see teeth put into the federal obscenity laws. It's just so very important. And so if you are moved by this episode or any of the others and just enraged and want to make a difference, please sign that petition. It, it will make all of the difference in the work that Alicia and I are trying to do to keep our communities safe from predators like these men that murdered Hilda and Christy. Yeah, we want to make sure that nobody can profit off a video like this in the future. These videos should not be out there to buy and sell and trade. Uh, it's just, it's horrific. Nobody should be able to make films like this and sell them. So please help us with that petition. We're doing all that we can to try to right this atrocity that we've seen happening time and time again. And real murders are occurring because of these death fetish fantasies and death fantasy predators. So thank you so much for being able to stand with us um, on this very important topic to us. It was very close to our hearts. And we also thank you so much for tuning in faithfully every week. We 
love to hear from people about different episodes. So if something stood out to you or you, n- you know something about this case that we didn't mention, please reach out to us. We'd love to chat with you and, you know, c- continue to be that bright light in your own community, however that looks for you. And just stay safe out there and remember to always keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.